Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be back in your company today on <clears throat> this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here on the High Felt. It has just gone 12 minutes past two on this day, and of course it is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz. My honor to be with you today. And we are, of course, in the run-up or run-down or uh, moments before the advent of a brand new year. Yes, two and a half days remain of the year 5783. And on Friday night, as the sun sets, we go into a brand new year 5784. Now, what is that number all about? <coughs> what is 5784? What does it date back to? Well, contrary to uh, <coughs> popular beliefs of um, Millions of years since the creation, the Torah tells us that it's 5,784 years since God created the world. And most specifically, Rosh Hashanah celebrates the creation of man. Man was created on the sixth day of creation, not just man as in male, but man and woman. Adam and Eve, they were both created on the same day, created on the sixth day of creation, which of course is Rosh Hashanah. That is the head of the year. Now it leads one to understand that to really get the notion or the idea of what we're actually celebrating and what our day of what we call New Year is actually all about. And I guess Perhaps if we paint the picture of how the world celebrates a new year or how the world celebrates a birthday, we may also have an inkling, an insight, and an idea of why things in Judaism are so vastly different, why we think about it in a completely different fashion. You know, when uh, the world out there gets ready for New Year, it's about fireworks, and it's about bryflace, and it's about uh, having a wonderful time, perhaps going to the beach, perhaps uh, getting drunk, doing all sorts of things that uh, one may not do at any other time. Why? Because there's kind of this attitude of live and uh, enjoy and, uh, you know, kind of put caution, blow, uh, caution blows away with the wind, and just really have a blast. That's kind of the notion. And yay, let's celebrate. We've managed to get through one year, and now we're going into the next. With us Jews, we understand something a lot different about a new year. And it's directly related, perhaps, to the way and the inkling, the, inst the, 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 the idea of how a birthday is celebrated. Think about it. How do people in the world celebrate birthdays? Well, there's a party. <laughs> I guess people bring presents. Uh, there's a birthday cake, people blow out candles, they do all sorts of stuff like that to celebrate a birthday, and perhaps there too. Same thing, let off fireworks, get a little drunk, do naughty things that you wouldn't have done at any other time, and uh, just generally have a great time to celebrate this, in inverted commas, milestone. From a Jewish point of view, it's completely different. From a Jewish point of view, from a Torah point of view, a birthday is a time for deep introspection for contemplation, for reflection, for thinking about what did I accomplish in the last year and what do I want to accomplish in the year ahead? It's about thinking about how I could have done the things that I did wrong just a little bit more right, how I could have done things a little better, how I could focus 
on how I am going to make the change and how I'm going to be a better person and the kind of contribution that I'm going to make in the days, months, weeks, and the year up ahead and how I'm going to not be presented with presents, but what am I going to give? Because if we're not giving, we're not living. Giving to the world, giving to each other, giving to friends and family, giving to community, giving to beyond our community, making sure that there are no people who are in need who I ignore, who I overlook. This is the attitude on a birthday. And, of course, we know that a birthday, we're told, is a day on which our muzzle, our spiritual power um, up in Shamayim, up in heaven, is at its peak and we have the ability therefore to bless others we have the ability to give brachas to bless people to make sure that everything that i have i want for you and everything that i can access i want to utilize for the betterment of other people of each other of the community at large of other people out there who need those blessings and so the power of the way that we celebrate a birthday is very, very much like the way we look at Rosh Hashanah. This day that is going to come up on Friday night, Shabbat, Saturday night, and Sunday of this coming week. Yes, it is right here. Rosh Hashanah is over this coming weekend. And at that time, no, there are not going to be fireworks, and there are not going to be uh, parties on the beach, and they're not going to be the kind of things that we're going to live to regret, we hope, but rather that we're going to do things on Rosh Hashanah that spell actually what we think about when we think about the birthday of man. Why was man created? What was God's purpose for putting man and woman, putting Adam and Eve into this world? What was the purpose of setting them up in that Garden of Eden and making sure that they could flourish, that they could live, and that they could do whatever it was that God wanted from them. And what was it actually that God wanted from them? He wanted them to take care of the garden. He wanted them to take care of the world. He wanted them to look after the animals. And so there's an obligation, animals and, of course, the plant life and the whole world per se. There's an obligation on the birthday of man to recommit ourselves to those things. But then he gave him do's and don'ts. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. These are the things that you need to take into account. These are the things that you should ignore. These are the things that you should do, and these are the things that you shouldn't do. Adam and Eve were given those instructions, and they were given a purpose, and their purpose was to govern over this world, to look after it, to make sure that it did whatever it was that God wanted from each and every item, from each and every thing that he created, and we therefore have to revisit that on Rosh Hashanah. What am I doing here? What's my purpose? I am the descendant of Adam and Eve, and here I am celebrating a brand new year, but it's a birthday, and I need to introspect, I need to think deeply into what is my purpose, what is my role? What's my goal? What am I doing here? And how can I perfect everything that I need to do in this world in order to make this world a far, far better place for each and every individual who has the privilege of occupying it? And that's what our Rosh Hashanah is about. And that's what we look forward to doing over this coming weekend. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Wonderful to be with you this afternoon. As we said before, it is just cruising up to 2.25 and of course it is 
that time of the year, just before Rosh Hashanah, time when we are really thinking about everything that we've got to do for Rosh Hashanah and what it's truly all about. Of course, the exploration of what our purpose is in life, what our purpose is here, what was man's purpose. We're celebrating that. We're celebrating the fact that God put a man on earth, put people on earth, put us here in order to accomplish something, in order to do something. This is not just party time, although we do have our trumpets and our uh, festive foods and all of the things that would go along with a special, special chag, a special, special festive occasion. But a lot of it is a lot more real and a lot more serious than all of that. Not serious as in dull and dreary and uh, uh, long and difficult, but rather serious as in introspection, thinking about what we are actually doing here, what our purpose is, and what we're supposed to be doing, and how we're supposed to be doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. But predominantly on Rosh Hashanah, we salute the kingship of the Almighty. God is our king. And the word melech or hamelech is used so often throughout our Rosh Hashanah liturgy. It is all about the king. It is all about God's Royalty, God's kingship, God's dominion. And by so doing, what we're doing is we're actually um, inviting God to be our king and inviting ourselves to be God's subjects. Now, when we've got a relationship of subjects and a king, it's not just that we stand on the gardens of the palace and we wave or uh, that we provide some kind of salutation for some kind of special occasion, but rather that there is a deep profound and very, very real um, thought of how God is our king and how we are God's subjects and how we are prepared to literally give ourselves over entirely to what it is that the king wants from us. He has certainly those powers of life and death over us, and therefore we continue to remind ourselves and remind God that it's life. That we want. And it's a life that we are about. It is about Chayim Tovim. It is about good life. So many times we mention the word Chayim, the word life, which is mentioned throughout the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. We also mention Avinu Malkeinu. We mention God who is our Father and our King. We mention this so many times throughout the Rosh Hashanah liturgy that it is all about Godliness, it is all about God and us. It is all about God creating this world and placing man, Adam and Eve, and then, of course, all of us to run the place, to see to it that it functions properly, to see to it that godly things happen on this earth, in this world, that the things that are negative and that are tough and rough and harsh and unbecoming of this world are, in fact, pushed away and that they are replaced with all things good and kind and, of course, yes, sweet. And so part of what we do on Rosh Hashanah is we speak about and we think about things that create that sweetness. Now, perhaps one of the best-known customs of Rosh Hashanah is that in the evening of the Chag, that is going to be on Friday night, when we begin our Yom Tov meal, we're going to make a special blessing. We're going to make a special blessing on a fruit, and we're going to take particularly an apple. And we're going to take a piece of that apple, and we dip it in honey. And we say, Yehi Ratzon, maybe it's God's will, 
שתחדש עלינו שנה טובה ומתוקה. May God grant us. May he renew for us a good and sweet new year. Good is not good enough here. We want it to be good and sweet. What does that actually mean? Why do we say Shana Tova Umetuka? Wouldn't it be just enough to say that it's just good? Why do we want it to be good and sweet? Well, if we think about it, the idea of the apple, the idea of the fruit, is that it epitomizes the creation that God has made for us to be able to utilize. We are instructed that we can take from the fruits of the trees. We can take from the fruits of this world. We are entitled to utilize them as long as we utilize them well and we don't go around destroying stuff or wasting, obviously. But when we take a fruit and we eat it, we are actually elevating that fruit to become something more spiritual. We're changing its status, so to speak, from elevating that fruit from being in one category or one world, as it's called. We're placing it in the human world. We are Elevating and bringing and bringing it closer to God and to godliness. Now, the fruit that God creates is good. All of it is good, and everything, in fact, is epitomized by that apple, by that fruit. Everything is good. It is all good. <laughs> Sometimes we look at things and we don't see the goodness. Sometimes we hear about, or we experience, or we have certain issues that we say, "Hey, one second." These things are tough and they're difficult and some of them are sad and we may even be prompted to call some of them bad. But from a Jewish point of view, there's no such thing as something in this world that God does that is actually bad. What God does is he does some things that are good, but we don't necessarily recognize that they're good. They come in a harsh way. The packaging is a little bit uncomfortable. The way it's delivered, the way it's meted out is something that we don't fully understand and we get despondent, upset, angry perhaps by the way that these so-called bad things are actually delivered. But they're not bad at all. They're all good. It's not very easy sometimes for us to see that goodness that lies beneath the surface. And therefore... What happens on the Rosh Hashanah is we take that apple, which represents the goodness of God. We dip it in honey, in a big dollop of honey, and we say, good is not going to be good enough for us, this Rosh Hashanah. We want it to be good and sweet. We want it to be so good that we can actually taste the sweetness of it. We want it to be so powerfully sweet that it is recognizable. From the start, from the outset, and throughout the experience, it is recognizable that this is actually good, pleasant, comfortable, and wonderful for each and every one of us to enjoy. And so that is the apple and honey, which we do first night Rosh Hashanah. But of course, the main thing of Rosh Hashanah is to hear the shofar now. There's something most unusual. Um, it does occur quite often that Rosh Hashanah falls out on a Shabbat. So this year... The first day of Rosh Hashanah is Shabbos. On Shabbos, on Shabbat, we do not sound the shofar. The shofar that we have been waiting for to sound on the Rosh Hashanah for an entire year will not be sounded on the first day of Rosh Hashanah this year. It will be sounded only on the second day. So I can hear you saying, yay, it means the davening is a little bit shorter on Rosh Hashanah. But what it really means is that the 
power of the day of Shabbat accomplishes everything that the shofar would have been able to accomplish had it been blown, and therefore it becomes unnecessary. Although we're told that one of the reasons is because of tiltul, it's because of the moving of the shofar from domain to domain, carrying it out in public, because it's an unusual thing. You might have forgotten it at home. You might go to a place where there's no eruv, and you might think that you can carry it to shul in order to blow it. But um, so there's really not a problem, actually, to sound the shofar, although it's something that we regard as being mukta, and therefore we do not blow the shofar at all on Rosh Hashanah, but on Shabbat Rosh Hashanah. But the uh, whole sounding of the shofar is delayed until Sunday. So on Sunday, we're going to blow the shofar. Now, this is, in fact, the be-all and end-all, really, of Rosh Hashanah. It uh, talks about that the mitzvah of the day is the shofar. That's our dominant, predominant, everything kind of mitzvah for Rosh Hashanah. If you haven't eaten apples and honey, if you maybe don't like them, if you haven't done all the other things, um, the prayers, etc., etc., uh, because you weren't in shul or because you didn't find them um, uh, short enough for you or whatever the reason may be, you still must please hear the sound of the shofar on Sunday. It's not diminished in any way, God forbid, by it being on the second day or by it being on the Sunday and not on the Shabbos and so on. On the contrary, we're kind of uh, doubly impacting the sounding of the shofar into one day. It is essential to hear the shofar blown on Sunday. Each and every individual, men, women, and children, should all be in shul. And there are so many shuls that you can go to around Joburg and around the country and around the world. One needs to make sure <coughs> that you hear the shofar if you're um, not you're, – you're, you're completely dependent on others or you're unable to move around or you cannot walk or whatever. Please be in touch with your nearest shul or with your rabbis or with – us at Chabad House, and we'll gladly try and arrange for somebody to come by and blow the shofar for you. Everybody needs to hear the sounding of the shofar on Sunday. And so please make sure that that happens. Don't disregard it. Don't regard it as being something small. It is something essential for our souls. Now, what is the idea of the sounding of the shofar on the Rosh Hashanah? What is that all about? Well, <clears throat> this doesn't only relate back to uh, the Garden of Eden, but in fact... The shofar runs as a bit of a thread, a link in the chain of Jewish history. If we think back in our recent past to the images of the capture of Yerushalayim on, in 1967 um, in the Six-Day War, and uh, the most famous picture of the soldiers standing at the Kotel uh, once they had reached there, and the chief rabbi of the army at the time, Rabbi Goran, sounding the shofar, it was something that not only stuck in our collective memories and in our minds and in our image, but it was that sound that pierces through and that is kind of a really dominant and uh, all-encompassing and everlasting kind of a link between God and his Jewish people because it wasn't only there. There are so many stories of people who gave up, literally were prepared to risk their lives in order to hear the sounds of the shofar in the Holocaust. And then we think about the shofar being sounded in the conquest of Israel, then the uh, walls of, Yer of, of Yericho, of Jericho falling down. We think about the sounds of the shofar by the Jews in the desert when uh, Moshe Rabbeinu went up the mountain 
And they sounded the shofar from the beginning of Elul or at the beginning of Elul to remind people that Moshe will be back in 40 days on Yom Kippur with the second set of tablets. The sound of the shofar or the image of the shofar goes back to the time of the Akedat Yitzchak, which we'll read about on the Rosh Hashanah. The offering of Isaac by his father Abraham, where he was told to take him up the mountain and offer him up as completely bizarre as that may have seemed, but yet Avram Avinu and Yitzchok Avinu, Abraham and Isaac, passed that test with flying colors. They were both prepared to do something completely and absolutely illogical in their uh, service of the Almighty. God had told them that Isaac would be, Yitzchok would be, the future of uh, Avram Avinu, the father of the Jewish people and so on. <clears throat> and at that stage, a man of 37, he had not yet gotten married and he was uh, clearly not yet, he didn't have children, he wasn't yet a father. And here, going to be offered up, going to cut that all off, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. But yet they went and they were prepared to do it. Or as the Torah records, They walked together. They both went with a spring in their step in order to serve God. It was at that time that God says, no, this isn't going to happen. There's going to be an animal there that is caught by its horns, the shofar in the thicket. And that became the offering instead of Isaac, instead of Yitzchak. And this image of the shofar goes all the way back to there as well. And so what we're saying is, God, we are the same people. We are the same people who had that Mesirat Nefesh. We're the same people who were prepared to give their lives for the capture of Jerusalem or for Judaism in the Holocaust or for um, the capture of Israel um, all those years ago, the occupation of, um, of, uh, of our homeland. We were prepared to do what we needed, and our link with you, God, was through that shofar, which comes from Abraham and Isaac. We have that mesirat nefesh. We have that same self-abnegation, that same ability to give of ourselves entirely for you. And this is the symbol of those sounds in the Rosh Hashanah. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. We've been talking about Rosh Hashanah, the beautiful festival of the Jewish New Year, but it's not just called New Year, it is called Rosh Hashanah. It's got something to do with a Rosh, and we all know that a Rosh is ahead. This is not just the beginning of the New Year, this is the Rosh, this is the head. And in the same way as the head is in control of every facet of the body, and it's in the head that the brain nerve center is uh, directing everything from the movement of our various organs to our uh, fingers to our toes and so on and everything that goes with it the idea of the head of the year is we understand that everything is kind of contained in this 48 hour period in fact our sages tell us that this is actually one long day there is a whole question about saying the bracha shehechiyanu on the second night of Rosh Hashanah when we light the candles and for instance at Kiddush why because we're told that this is one long day and it's kind of in the middle of a day and we're never in the middle of a day uh, think about the renewal the newness of it but uh, that's a different kind of a topic for a different day but here we talk about Rosh Hashanah as being this jam-packed power-packed 48-hour period, or a little bit more than 48 hours, I guess, of Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the year. Everything is contained within it. And so we make sure that our 
behaviors and the things that we do and the things that we avoid and the things that we are involved with in our headspace over this period of time are exactly what we would want them to be or what we would want to have happen for us and about us for the duration of the year, entirely throughout the year, much like one would want to be on one's best behavior, I guess, on one's birthday, on the day of a birthday, to behave in such a fashion in a way whereby we are kind of laying the um, the yardstick. We're putting out there the plan, the map. This is kind of not mind mapping, but it's personal mapping of what we expect or what we hope for the coming year. And on one's birthday, one should think, think as we said initially in this program, very deeply about what you have. Be grateful for the things that you've got. Um, be proud of what you have and what and, and your your great abilities and uh, try and embroider upon your connections with God Almighty and uh, the performance of good deeds and the learning of Torah and so on. That should all be part and parcel of a birthday. So it should also be, of course, on the Rosh Hashanah, but more so because it is the Rosh, it is the head. And if the head is going to be healthy, if the head of this functioning body that we call ourselves and Judaism, the Jewish people and so on, is going to function well. We need to make sure that it is, in inverted commas, fed all, fed all the right ingredients and in the right atmosphere and in the right environment for the duration of Rosh Hashanah. And so we spend a great amount of time over Rosh Hashanah in Shul. We spend a great amount of time in prayer, in deep contemplation. We spend a great amount of time in um, personal interactions with family and friends and so on around the Yom Tov table. But it's not meant to be a time of uh, frivolous behavior. It's not meant to be a time of um, drunken revelry, so to speak, in the way whereby some might want to celebrate a birthday party, but rather in the way that we are in a becoming fashion celebrating the birthday of man and kind of laying the, uh, the target out for the entire coming year. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, it is almost Rosh Hashanah, the last few days. And in these last few days before Rosh Hashanah, we should be thinking not only about how much we're going to eat and, uh, who we're going to be eating with, but we should rather be thinking, I think, about how important these few days of uh, uh, the coming weekend, Rosh Hashanah, is not only to us, but to the entire world. We believe, we understand that this celebration really affects everything. Because we're thinking about the creation of the world. This wasn't just a time for uh, when the Jewish people were created. This is the time when the world was created. Everything came into being. Man himself, and whether you're Jew or non-Jew, there is an effect that this day must have on the spirituality of um, everything that was created. This is just the way that we see it. It is uh, something as important perhaps for us and as it is for those who perhaps don't even know and realize but it's up to us as the Jewish people to make sure that we do whatever we can to uh, daven to pray to um, introspect uh, 
to think deeply about how we are going to recommit ourselves to what we should be doing as a Jewish people, what we should be doing as human beings, how we should be living this world, how we should be governing this world, how we should be um, respecting the world and all the people around us, all the creatures around us and everything that God put into this wonderful world because it's the celebration of the creation of the world, the celebration of the creation of man and his, your and my missions in life and in this world per se. So it is at this time that we think very deeply about how we are going to be over this coming Rosh Hashanah because it is going to be a real reflection of how we're going to be over the coming year as well. And so I would like to wish each and every one of you, every single listener out there, a Shana Tova Umetuka, a happy and a sweet new year. May we have a Ketiva Vachatimatova, where maybe we be written, sealed, uh, inscribed and sealed into the good books for the coming year. And please, God, we should... Enjoy every single blessing that God has in store for us. It should come to us in the fullest possible sense in ways and means that uh, you and I have never even imagined. And please, God, we should very soon have the greatest promise that God has made us, the greatest blessing of the coming of Mashiach, when the world will be changed fundamentally, where there will be peace on earth and when people will not fight with one another and there'll be no more hardship and violence and death and dying and suffering but rather we'll be able to see that absolute sweetness within the goodness of God and please God we should have that Shana Tova Umetuka in every sense of the world when we show a great rest of this week and a great Rosh Hashanah a great weekend a Shabbat Shalom and a good Yom Tov for the coming Chag, the coming festival of Rosh Hashanah. Take care. Look forward to being back with you again next week. Same time, same place. Another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9.